this is our final evening together and it feels a bit sad for me in one way and uh, also feels um, like it's gone very quickly not always felt like it's it's gone quickly sometimes it's felt very um, slow but now at the end of the retreat one wonders where it went dissolving dissolving so fast and this time tomorrow evening most, most of us a few people are staying on to continue with their personal retreats but most of us all the people living here at Gaia House staying on but most of us will be in many different places um, like the, uh, the flower that's come to bloom and then the seeds blown by the wind taken in many different uh, places and directions so I hope that something of what we've been doing together we, we can take with us that it's not just about sitting here and Guy how. One of the feelings that comes for me at tonight, reflecting on the the ending and the parting of ways, parting of uh, ways for friends, people that uh, we've got to know now over the years, and uh, the sense of kinship, just sharing this experience together, uh, is the feeling of gratitude. As a the Pali word for gratitude, katanyata, means knowing that which has been done. A feeling of appreciation for what's been done, what's happened these days together, what's been shared, what's been cultivated, um, a preciousness of the kind of space that's been held together, allowing for us all to just open a little bit more to our being, open a little bit more to the experience of being human and all that that entails, the inspiring moments and uh, uplifting moments and then the painful emotions or the struggle, the confusion, the insight, the joys, the peacefulness, all the the many, many different kinds of experiences that we've shared together in this space. And uh, allowing those experiences to be reflected upon from a dharmic perspective, something quite rare about that in human life, to consciously create a space, uh, to reflect more on our human condition from a place of awareness, a place of sensitivity, being willing to feel more fully, more honestly. And uh, that, that does bring a beautiful quality to the heart, this quality of appreciation. Thinking of uh, this quality of gratitude tonight, sitting here, our last night together, that what um, 
the gifts that Kirisara and I have received, what we've shared with you this week, has been the result of what was shared with us by our teachers, those that we've lived with and uh, contemplated the Dharma with over the years. We've talked quite a lot about Ajahn Chah. And uh, I feel in many ways very grateful that I didn't have a chance to live with Ajahn Chah. I had a chance to meet him in England in 76 when he came and then when I went to Thailand in uh, 78. And then he came to England again just before I ordained. In 79, I had a chance to have some contact. And certainly I heard a lot of stories. I had my own impression. But I was something when I was contemplating tonight that I really appreciated in meeting Shin Chah and then the, the forest monks when they came to England, that there was something very uncompromising about their dedication to the Dharma and its practice. Um, it hadn't yet started this process of becoming more palatable for us as Westerners, which is a necessary process, a way of integrating and um, making the, the, the Dharma more um, accessible for our cultural conditioning and background. But just meeting the Dharma um, from the Asian tradition uh, being practiced by people that were really uh, dedicated every ounce of their life blood to its realization. Um, and they were from a very working in, in many ways with a very different circumstances than we have here in our modern life. A very different support system and culture. Um, so it is appropriate for changes to happen, but for me there was something very precious about just meeting something um, that hadn't yet been in the West that long. And meeting someone like Etin Chai who was very uncompromising, one of the first things he told me was how ignorant I was. He wasn't trying to placate me or butter me up or... <laughs> he was just very straight. They call it Uju. No bullshit. said, what did I know about meditation? What did I understand about this teaching of emptiness? And being very naive, I tried to answer that, which is... <laughs> after having... After having done a few meditation retreats, I felt qualified to... I've had a few interesting experiences. So he listened very patiently as I rambled away about no self, feeling this sense of self growing bigger and bigger. <laughs> I felt like walking the plank. I sort of got to the point when I, if I took another step, I was, so I just stopped with a bright red face, with this huge sense of self in the room. As I didn't try, I got more and more empty. <laughs> I'd always known him to be very charming and loving, but suddenly he was in his more wrathful appearance and uh, he wasn't making any attempt, any bridges, any, any, no charm, just 
this skinny uh, sorrow said yesterday, no one home. Just very powerful. And then he, he turned to one of his Western disciples and said something in Thai, who didn't want to translate it. So he said it again. So the Western monk rather sheepishly said, he says you're very ignorant. (laughs) I was very grateful for that, actually. Someone would uh, call my number. And then Ajahn Chah gave a very beautiful talk on (laughs) non-self. And there's something about the the gift of someone's life like that when I contemplate that he wasn't really, his focus was on realizing the Dharma. He wasn't really out to gather disciples or to try and set up an empire of one sort or another or to create a a, biz, a Dharma business, <laughs> which we, we seem sometimes in the West I, I wonder about. <laughs> he was just into his practice and people um, gathered around him. He went to live in a haunted forest that no one else wanted. He chose the places that no one else wanted to live in. He didn't choose the most opulent places to stay a forest that uh, had spirits in that no one else wanted to live. He just went there to practice. And, and eventually he didn't write any books. Uh, but in the course of his life, he became um, very renowned for his uh, ability to, um, to be very enlightened, really his capacity to to be very enlightened. And in the course of his life, a hundred monasteries, before he died, there were hundreds, hundred monasteries around the globe that had gathered around him. Thousands of disciples. And one of the things Ajahn Chah used to say was, uh, if you make a good soup, you don't need to go and advertise it. <laughs> People get to hear. So I'd just like to, to reflect, I just, try and go back to some of the principles that these in the forest masters live by, something very simple, very pure. And then my American teacher, Ajahn Sumedho, what he went through to uh, study the Dharma, going to Thailand in his early 30s, a big man, if you've met him, tall, over six foot, large, sitting at the end of the line of small Thai novices, <laughs> teenage novices. And, uh, people sort of thinking he was a bit strange. Had a university degree, and there he was at the bottom of the line, the most junior member of, uh, of the monastery. Uh, people that uh, learning from Ajahn Chah had almost no education and suffering fevers and sicknesses and and just knowing that there was something important to learn in that process. 
And uh, learning from a teacher that kept the Dharma very simple, very accessible, no suffering, no the ending of suffering, which is what we've been contemplating in this time together. So that there is something about um, the commitment needed to really uh, live a life according to Dharma, to allow those principles to enter deeply into our lifestyle, into our being, um, some of the risks involved. We don't really know where it will take us. Uh, it can take us to um, stepping outside of conventional situations sometimes, what people might expect of us, what may be comfortable for us. Um, so there's a lot about trusting, learning to have trust and faith in our own inner intuitive process as we open and take refuge in the in the Triple Jewel, which we've been contemplating also these ten days, it does take us into uh, a profound relationship with faith in its most uh, purest form, in, 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 into a profound relationship with trust. Putting ourselves in the vehicle of the Triple Jewel of awareness, contemplating the life according to the principles of Dharma, of seeking those qualities of Sangha within and without, and then trusting that vehicle. Learning not to trust our fears and our anxieties so much, or our need for external security or even internal security. Our need for life to be a certain way, but being able to open more to this mysterious universe. We've been contemplating that too, like in the ceremony this afternoon. Just being able to open to I don't know. I haven't got it all figured out, but I'm trusting in what I do know. Being able to meet life with awareness, with openness. There's a beautiful poem by Rumi, which I'd like to read. I haven't actually got a huge amount tonight. I feel to say, I feel just to say a few things. Uh, There's a lot been said this week, and I feel the ceremony was, um, was quite powerful. And uh, mm, almost enough for one day. <laughs> this is called the guest house. <clears throat> this being human is as a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honourably. It may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. 
be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So for me this is what we've been practicing in a sort of way these ten days, welcoming the guests that have visited us and trusting that the initial appearance of what might be difficult or painful or that which sweeps us through has the possibility of opening us to a new understanding, to a new insight, to to a new dimension of our being, being able to stay with that which normally we would turn away from. This is uh, also something so profound that we can, can we can stay with in our daily life. When we feel that I can't take this anymore, sometimes we can just stretch a little bit more just to receive what we feel we can't be with. The confusion, or the sorrow, or the pains that come to us. Knowing, yes, actually, there's something in this, what appears to be something I, I would not usually entertain, what appears to be something negative has some teaching in it. The person that comes to us that we might not like, or we don't want to be with, can be a very profound Dharma door. So this quality of this week we've been practicing being patient as well, being patient with those things, developing patience, those things we would normally have very little patience for. One of the, when uh, Kirisara was talking about the Awada Padimoka last night, this essential teaching of the Buddha, lifting up that which is wholesome in the heart, turning away from the unwholesome, and purifying the heart. Another stanza that the Buddha went on, in fact it was the, the first stanza of this teaching that the Buddha gave to the 1200 enlightened Arahats. The first stanza was, Patience. Patience is the highest tapas, use the word tapas, which is like a practice that burns away. Patience is the highest practice for overcoming the unwholesome, or the painful, or the unskillful that has already arisen. So as we've been patient uh, with that which has arisen and contemplating the ending of that which we might not have been willing to have been with usually, but in this meditation retreat, contemplating the ending and allowing us, allowing the ending of things to take us to the underlying peacefulness, contemplating nirvana this week. Nibbana is the highest happiness, as the Buddha said. To realize, to open, to remember that in our daily life when we're getting stressed out, when we're driving and trying to get somewhere, or we're in a supermarket in a, in a line, in a queue, and getting impatient, which is perhaps the, the time when I get the most impatient, when I'm in a supermarket, the most spaced out and the most impatient, trying trying to decide from these shelves and shelves and shelves of stuff what to get. Can I find Nibbana in that situation or is it only in <laughs> Gaia House after 
six days of intensive meditation. In my mind, when it's fraught and circling around, should I have baked beans or tomato soup? Can I actually notice any spaciousness in the, in the busyness of our daily life? Can I actually can I take a breath into the heart? Can I relax the body? Can I receive the moment? Can I notice any underlying peacefulness, even within that which is not peaceful? This is a challenge of our adapting and translating this practice into daily life. And as, as we've been saying, it's not so much about having a special state. If we just grasp a special state, being peaceful, tranquil, then I can guarantee that very soon after we leave the retreat, we're going to feel quite disappointed. And that's, uh, that's natural. It's natural to hold to this space because it's been, it has a beauty to it. It has a sensitivity to it which does get eroded. But if we can remember that it's not so much a special kind of state but our relationship to whatever appears, this notion of samaditi, to be able to be, have a foundation this reading that, uh, if you remember, that Kitty read from Ajahn Chah, Foundation in Right View. This is how it is in this moment. This is how it is. What is my relationship to how it is? Is there aversion? Is there grasping? And however it is, it's workable. Our relationships at home, our children, our work, the daily routine things that we need to do, all of it can be gathered into awareness into cultivating these uh, parameters, these qualities we've been talking about during this time together. And then the last thing I want to mention tonight in this area of looking at daily life if we were uh, focusing a lot at the beginning of the retreat on the samatha practice, the calming, the, the inner structure. We've had an outer structure here which has helped to contain the meditative space, the meditative awareness. We've had the silence, we've had community holding the space for us. But uh, that's, that's not available to us, is it, mostly in our daily lives? We can create structures, we can create deliberate times of pausing during the day, in the morning, in the evening. We can create sacred space in our homes, a shrine, a a place where we might sit. But we can also take that uh, principle, when we're talking about Uitaka Uichara, if you remember the jhana factors, into our daily life, to have a sense of being able to develop the samatha, like an inner holding inner structure, to turn away when it feels too much. We're getting confused, we're getting overwhelmed. To take time to be with a few breaths, uh, to be with the body, to, to learn the skill of not having to always endlessly think and worry. Learning to appreciate the spaciousness 
of a, of a calm mind. For the sake of this sense of inner well-being, developing that and also developing an outer sense of well-being, being able to appreciate this Brahma-Zahara that we were talking about of joy. Sometimes we can get very focused on the, the suffering, especially if some of you are in in professions, caring professions, or healing professions, or engaged with demands that uh, demanding lifestyles, demanding jobs, and dealing with a lot of, of um, fastness, or a lot of suffering, or a lot of busyness, we can get um, fraught. Then this ability to consciously seek out that which creates an upliftment of the heart a sense of uh, being able to enjoy. As, as sensory beings, we have the senses. And yes, the samatha meditation is actually a sense of strength, a turning away um, for the sake of being able to dwell in an inner abiding. But also, if there, is a, if there, there can be a way that we use the senses where we just get jaded, but actually in the meditative processes, there's awareness. We can notice that as sentient beings, we can also resonate with that which is beautiful, the natural world, other beings that we find uplifting, the creative process in life, that which brings uh, creativity being able to enjoy just the evening as the light fades or the sun as it rises in the sky or the cloud formations as they pass or a flower as it opens in a pa- push, pushing through a paving stone as we may be walking in a city actually attuning ourselves to be able to notice that which is which has beauty, not only just this quite important sometimes because we can overly focus on the suffering element in Buddhist meditation. Being able to also appreciate the beauty in life, the joyful, the happy. There's a lovely poem by Rumi again. about this principle. Today, like every other day, we wake up empty and frightened. Don't open the door to your study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty that you love be what you do. There's a hundred ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Tonight, I'd like to invite Laura, if she's willing. Last year, Laura sang us a a really wonderful song. If you remember those of you that were here last song, last year, um, and uh, about the theme of parting as Dharma friends. So, um, Laura, how are you feeling about this? 
okay. Uh, well done. <laughs> so tonight I'd like to invite, invite Laura and her beautiful voice to offer us a, a, a song to finish the evening with. So please. Um, yeah, this is my offering and my practice. As I said last year, um, it's terrifying <laughs> to do this. Um, but I really love this song. Um, it was sort of passed on to me by a woman named Tarika, who was my teacher for a while in London. And the words are from um, Milarepa. It's from um, Milarepa was a Tibetan saint, um, and it seems most of his teachings were through song. Um, I, I love this because it moves through a, dif- a few different worlds. There's about five different worlds or spaces. Um, and I love the possibility of moving easily through worlds, which is what we'll be doing tomorrow, a lot of us. So, um, I offer this as a blessing to us. Um, to help us in this transition. Um, And may we bless all of the worlds we're in contact with. As I said, there's five bits. Um, When we get to the garden, there's only one to go.
May your gators never drain you. May fishermen never net me. Inspired by the Dharma, may we soon meet again in prosperity and boom. In the fair garden blooms the flower halo. Circling round it is the Persian bee. Their meeting and their parting mark the change of time. Dear flower, be well and healthy, for I will see the Ganges blooms for pleasure. May hail not beat down upon you. May winds blow me not away. Inspired by the Dharma, may we soon meet again in prosperity and boom. Circling around the yogi Milarepa are the faithful patrons from Nayanam. Their meeting and their parting mark the change of time. Be well and healthy, dear patrons, as I leave for the far mountains for diversion. May I, the yogi, make good progress, and you, my patrons, all live long. Inspired by the Dharma, may we soon meet again in prosperity and boom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.